You're listening to Catalyst for Change, and my name is Jessica Huckabee, your host. I started this podcast to learn what makes people resilient after challenging events and how they've used those series of events as a catalyst for change in their life. You'll hear stories of resiliency and strength, so get ready, sit back, and be prepared to be inspired. Today, my guest is Jan Hill. Jan talks to us today about what it was like growing up in the 1960s and the 1970s, getting into college, trying to get into a career path that may not have been open for women at that time, and the things that have changed along the way in her lifetime. She spent over 40 years working in higher education, and she also is on the board of trustees for Ohlone College, which is a junior college in California. Thank you so much, Jan, for coming on my show, Catalyst for Change Stories. I was really intrigued by your essay that you wrote and really wanted to ask you more questions about that and what it was like being a woman in higher education and even thinking about going into higher education back in the 1960s and 70s. So really would love to get more of your story and hear about what was a catalyst for change in your life, which encouraged you and drove you to go into the field that you're in now. Can you start off by just telling me more about your story and what's been the catalyst? Thank you, Jessica, for inviting me today. Probably no secret that I always wanted to learn more, but my parents had a different mindset. So for them, back in the 60s, they felt that high school was good enough for them. So it was good enough for their two daughters. People who go on to college are kind of highfalutin. So they saw that as a negative. But it just so happened that I went to a high school that was very academic, Mills High in Millbrae. And they had about 90% of the students who graduate would go on to college. So luckily I had a counselor who for all four years, especially in my senior year, kept pushing and pushing my parents just to let me have a chance to try this, whatever this was. It was kind of an unknown thing to me. I think I gave the example in what you read about being in a sophomore high school college prep class. I guess I tested well. I was automatically put in college prep. I don't know why. I didn't know what it meant or what was different about that. And when we're all waiting for the teacher to show up one day and everyone around me is talking about what college are you going to? And they're naming all these places, a Harvard and a Yale and a Berkeley and a Stanford and my dad's alma mater. And it's like, none of those words meant anything to me. I didn't know what they were. I just had no mentorship for higher education. For me, all that was expected was to graduate from high school and go to work, get a job, you'll get married, you'll have babies, you'll never have to work another day in your life. Except that didn't happen. Yeah, obviously, (laughs) yeah. No. So, you know how they say sometimes what you can't have, you try to get it. Okay. So the more I wanted education and the more it seemed to be kept from me, I knew there was a world out there after high school, but I didn't know what it was. And finally, in the second half of my senior year, the counselor got my parents to agree. I was 17 at the time. So they got my parents to agree that I could go to the local junior college and I would be allowed two years. That was it, two years. 
and then she's going to work and then she'll get a job and blah, 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 whatever. Yeah. So I had my two years right away. Like in that summer, I was invited to a tea by the women's dean and some of the women professors. And I had no idea what this world was about, but I went to the tea. And I remember them saying that you should read your catalog. Your catalog gives you rights, that that's when you begin. And if you don't um, let too much time go by, don't let more than two terms go by, those catalog rights will follow you through your education. And you need to read that catalog cover to cover. So of course I read it twice. <laughs> okay. I knew I had to do whatever I had to do to make my two years count and trying to get that degree at the end of the two years. So there was a sample in the catalog about what you could do, the classes you needed to get a degree in data processing. That was my interest at the time. I wanted to be a junior programmer. It exactly told you what classes you needed. You need to pass them all. So back then that meant that you needed to sign up when the lists were posted outside the counselor's doors on a certain day, it would be publicized. So that meant that around three in the morning, I would drive up to the college and wait in the parking lot until the person would come out and post it on the, the counselor's doors, the classes I wanted to take for that term, but you needed your counselor's permission. So I'd always be second or third, I'd be right up there. Some people would even bring sleeping bags and sleep on the roof. I mean, oh that's how goodness. competitive it was back in the 60s yeah. to get what you wanted. But I knew I couldn't mess anything up and I had to get everything I needed or I would never make it in the two years. And my parents were pretty adamant about that. They also were adamant that I needed to find a little job so I could pay for gas and my necessities for college. I ended up, it took a lot of effort, but I ended up talking to the gal, the woman who headed up the library at the local college, junior college where I went, and convinced her finally to give me a half-time job, Mondays through Thursdays, 5 to 10 at night. Okay. Got my 20 hours in. And with that... I had been saving all my life back in the day. Yeah. Um, every Wednesday would be Bank of America Day at our schools. <laughs> and you would bring your little white envelope with your little um, passbook. And I would take half my allowance, which would be 25 cents, because I'd get 50 cents a week. And half of it I had to save. And by the end of around high school, I had $600. Is that enough okay. to buy a used car? Now I had a half-time job. I could pay for the gas. Yeah. Gas was about 35 cents a gallon then. <laughs> yeah, I would get up early. I would get the classes I exactly needed out of the catalog, get the counselor to sign them off. Then I could go register for them. And two years in out community college done. I did it. I got an AA in data processing and I was 19 years old. And yeah, tell me about what, what you use that degree for. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what I'd like to use it for, yeah. what I ended up using it for. <laughs> Back then, it was very difficult to get into any company to get a job. Where I lived, I was going down the next couple cities in the more industrial areas. 
and I would walk in cold. I mean, my parents didn't know anyone. Um, my dad was a butcher. My mom worked in town. They had no ideas of where I should go. So I'd walk in my only little two-piece wool suit with the white gloves on and everything. And back then when you typed up a resume, you typed it. There were no yeah. copy machines. And if you made a mistake, you ripped it out of the typewriter and you did it again. We were all very good at uh, proofreading. Yeah. You could not make a typo. You could not correct it on um, a resume that was not seen as appropriate. Okay. So I might type up 20 or 25 resumes and then walk into the place, fill out their application, trying to apply for a junior programming position if they have one, attach the copy also of the degree. Okay. And once they would read the application and find out that I could do shorthand at 120 and type at 80, they didn't even take me anywhere near the data center. Okay. I always got pitched off to the, well, you'd be great for the typing pool outside our data center. Yeah. And back then, the typing pools had a little um, counter on the bottom of the typewriter. You actually got bonuses or sometimes were even paid by how many keystrokes you did in a day. Okay. And you couldn't make mistakes. You couldn't make too many. So because you were so good at typing and shorthand, they decided to pitched. put you into, into the typing pool right. and kept you away from what you really wanted to do, which was a junior engineer position or junior programmer position. Programmer, anything where I could use the data processing background. Back then, I know what's on a tiny little pieces you have of computers today. Back then, we actually had wire boards accounting machines. We would uh, do a program. I knew Excel, SBS machine language, Fortran, programs like that. We would print it out on a paper, what we were going to ask it to do, type up the IBM cards, then go to a verifier and type it up again, run them both through a machine. And they, the, if they didn't match, it would pop out and you had to hold them up to the light and find out where your mistake was, fix it, and put it all through the machine again with the wire boards and then press the start button and hope that at the end your project, be it a payroll project or whatever, would come out right. Wow, that sounds like a lot more work than what we have to do these days. It's a lot all- more time. <laughs> so I understand what goes into all that. Yeah. <laughs> I learned in the early years. Yeah. Um, my one break I thought was going to come, I lived near the airport, San Francisco airport. Again, when you looked in the paper at night, you would find jobs under male wanted or female wanted. And I did find a job under female wanted for United Airlines. Okay. They had a half and half position. They wanted someone taking shorthand, being an executive secretary to some person. I'm sure it was a guy. Yeah. And the other half of the time, it would be out front doing some of the data entry for processing tickets for people. And that seemed perfect to me. I could utilize both worlds. And I even got a second interview. I ended up with the guy or talking, everything's going fine. He liked everything he saw. Then he looked down at the application and he goes, oh, you're not 21, are you? I said, no, because I was 19. Oh. <laughs> he goes, you can't, you have to be 21 to work here. 
Okay. And so, what was the reasoning for that? Was there alcohol that you had to, you know, there was no, nope, nope, <laughs> no, no reason. you didn't understand the reason for that. Just back in the day, you had to put down your birth date on the application. Okay. Okay. So you had to put down what was the last amount you ever made. They could decide and negotiate based on what you made in the past. Okay. Not what the job was worth. That's interesting. No, that was just what you dealt with. Yeah. And there's been laws enacted and uh, ever since, and ever since to eliminate having to display your age or, or many and, different yeah. things. Yeah. I even remember one time a city away from where I lived. I was there for a couple of hours, filled out their application, had the perfect resume, had the, everything ready, showed proof of the AA. And then when they finally interviewed me, the gentleman did. And then he said, oh, we don't, we're, we don't have anything for you right now. I said, just a thank you. And I got up and started to leave. And as I got to the door, I turned around and the secretary was already dropping my application in the garbage. Oh, how They didn't even have to keep things then. Yeah. There was no minimum requirement to retain anything for any position. So they pretty much could hire whoever they wanted. Yeah. So they had a lot more. You didn't have as many rights, it sounds like. So what got your interest peaked in higher education and... What was that like? Probably because after the two years, I got my degree. I was having trouble finding a job. Ended up, I uh, can't remember how I found the position. Maybe I even went to the unemployment department and saw it on a board. But there was a job in San Mateo that looked like, oh, yeah, it was office work. But I figured I got to start somewhere. And you had to pay a fee to get the job. And back in those days, I paid 300 and some dollars to get the fee. Wow. I had to pay to get a job. And that was to be half the money back after six months if you lasted. Oh, and the rest of it after one year if you lasted. Okay. And it was not a very good job. I was very mistreated there too. These people were from the South, in an office there in San Mateo temporarily during um, tax season. And they were doing income tax during the tax season. I took their tax course. They let me. So I learned how to do income tax. But then one day, suddenly I got moved over to another division. It was typical, especially on Mondays, where the head woman who was in charge, easy to say this nicely, but back in the day, some women did what they had to do to get ahead. Yeah. And this woman, this woman did all that. Yeah. And uh, I guess she had had several DUIs. They had taken her uh, fancy sports car away from her. So she didn't even drive. Yeah. She's older. Yeah. And she hired another gal and myself. At the same time, the other gal was hired a week before me. And after three months, we were supposed to get a raise, $25 raise. So after about four months, I remembered. And I asked Jane, Janie next door to me. I said, did you get a raise last month? She goes, no, I'm going to ask about it. So she went up to this woman, the supervisor in charge of the, all the rest of us. And... Jane had some a situation. Her mom had mental health issues. She was engaged. She was saving all her money to get married. And they gave her the $25 raise. So I figured, well, why not? I'll go up and ask. But when yeah. I went up and asked, the story I got was, well, you're single. You live at home with your parents. You don't need the money. Okay. Journalistic yeah. decision-making for you. Yeah. Because after all, 
you're a woman, you don't know how to make decisions. So even when you're doing the same or you have better skills, it never paid off. Yeah. Oh, wow. So they can make that decision for you, basically, oh, whether yeah. you needed it or not. It so sounds... what happened on Mondays, especially, is big wigs from the Southern branch, uh, don't even want to name what state, would come up and they would lay off the salesmen who did not get their numbers the week before. They just were bringing people in and out and in and out. And after they finished that, around 12 something, gentlemen who came in for the day would take our lady and they'd go to a two and a half hour lunch. Okay. And when she'd get back, then Janie could go for lunch from 2.30 to 3.30. And then when Jane got back, I could go to lunch from 3.30 to 4.30. Oh yeah, Jan, we need you to pick up the stationary supplies at the whatever, whatever. I had bought my own used car. Of course, they don't reimburse you for gas. And you're expected to do it in that hour. So get your lunch, eat your lunch, get the supplies and be back here on time. Okay. So not on company time and not on company gas funds, no. but you had to make sure that you did company business on your work at your lunch hour when you had that at three o'clock. Wow. So bound and determined okay. to get my half of that fee back at six months and get the heck out of there after a year. Yeah. Um, but before that could even happen, they had some situation going on and they said they had to let me go. I think it was at five and a half months. Mm. Isn't that interesting? So they must've got a kickback somehow from the, the agency that was. That... Don't know. Yeah. Okay. Know. So I went down to the unemployment department again, explained the situation to the person. I had a counselor there she saw my resume and everything. And she goes, what else do you know? And there's a couple things I knew about the company. They were going to have a meeting that week with some people through the unemployment department. And part of the thing they were trying to get away with is when they did their income tax during the tax season in mobile home units, they only had one restroom and they wanted to make it for both sexes, but that was against the law at the time. So they said, we'll work something out with them if they give you back your money. I said, oh, good. <laughs> so the state of California and me ended up suing them and I got my money back. Oh, good. That's really yeah. good to hear. And yeah. so, yeah. So then after that is when you, it sounds like you may have decided, okay, I'm done with working in this private sector. Oh, yeah. <laughs> paying, for, paying to get a job, paying fees in order to get a job. And having to do work on your lunch hour, you thought, well, you know, the government There's sector. There's got to be a better way. <laughs> yeah, maybe they're better. <laughs> so tell me but about one that. One of the gentlemen there had graduated from Cal State Hayward. Okay. And that's when he kind of could see, I wanted more education. I wanted to get out of this environment. And he gave me the time off one afternoon. This, this is at the company. The yeah. tax company. Okay. He told me how to go from San Mateo to Hayward, up the hill, where to go, what building. He goes, you need to go over there today. Don't worry, I will keep them at bay. And you need to file an application. You need to go back to school. So that was helpful. I went back and signed up to be a student at Cal State as a junior. Didn't exactly know what I was going to do at first, but yeah, so you were figuring it out, uh -huh. and it sounds, what did you end up wanting to do? What was your degree in? 
business education. But then a few months later, I got a job at Cal State Hayward in the business department. And then I was told by the dean there that, well, you can't be a major in this department and be working here full time because you might see the midterms and finals. We just can't allow that. Okay. So you have to pick another major or quit the job. Okay. And what did you do? I quit the major. They were phasing it out anyway. Okay. And so, so what did, what did your major become? I floundered for a few years. That's why I was a forever junior. Okay. On and off and on and off. Went back to Chabot for a while and started at College of San Mateo. Finally found a professor at Cal State Hayward and he helped me design my own bachelor's degree, special major. A special major. So I combined four different departments, mass communication, business administration, uh, speech communication, and I can't remember the fourth one, maybe political science. Put them all together, gave it a name, administrative communication. And I had to find professors in every department who would approve it. Okay. I finally did and finally graduated in 1990. Oh, After good. Years on and off and on and off. So <laughs> 25 years with four kids. <laughs> yeah, four kids later and 25 yeah, years later. Two, uh, two marriages, one divorce, four kids later. Four kids um, later. And then I was doing pretty good. So I stayed on and got the master's in public administration. Oh, good. That's such an interesting master's. And it's, yeah, it really takes it you a long way, I feel. So you ended up staying working for the college after you got your master's. Mm -hmm. And what are you doing as far as your work nowadays? And what have you been doing in all the years since? There were other things going on at Cal State. I didn't really realize at the time either. But there was an assumption that if you were assisted by the fee waiver program, which I was, it allows you to take two classes up to eight units uh, for three dollars each if you work there full time at the time which I did okay and after you get your degree they make it perfectly clear don't expect any promotions don't expect any increases or anything because you now have a degree you got yours because you got your degree on the state yeah so that was fine At the time I had gotten a promotion, I was in the student health center and I loved that job. I was like a little business manager of the health center in charge of the administrative communications unit. And I hired everyone, a hundred and some odd employees. Nothing went through that unit without my signature, all the purchasing, everything. So I handled all the budgets of which there were many, state, non-state, we had some grants. So yeah, it, it was a great job until the university had its first ever downsizing in 1992. And they were laying off people who were middle management, especially if they were female, like in my role. Okay. So I didn't get a promotion that I thought I deserved, but it ended up being a good thing because they ended up keeping me. And what happened by then was I had so many transfer rights back to so many jobs on campus, it would have sent, bounced somebody else, it would have bounced somebody else, it would have really interrupted the entire campus. They ended up just moving me to financial aid. So for the next 22 years, I was in financial aid, not because I wanted to be, but because I had a job. 
Yeah. And I'm sure they wondered that whole time, why does she stay? But it's worth it today. Yeah. Helpers is worth it. Not too many places will give you a pension. And how was it as a woman in the 90s? You mentioned. Got better. Got a lot better. better. Okay. Um, like I said in that essay, back in the 70s, it was not uncommon to have female students come into my office as a department secretary and they would be in tears. The professor and there were a couple that were especially noteworthy for this uh, would speak down to the couple, two or three women in the class. It was mostly all male students, mostly all male professors. And we had one notorious professor who would start in on, why don't you bake brownies tomorrow? As if that was all a woman was good for. Yeah. Whatever ideas they might say in class were not highly regarded. So then they'd be at my office in tears. And what can I say? Yeah. Um, but as the years went on into the 80s and into the 90s, yeah. I have to say for female students, it did get better. And that's part of what you want to talk about resilience. Never give up. Just yeah. never give up. Have yeah. it. <laughs> Somebody else has it worse. And I was able to observe so many things during that time, whether it was the first female student back in the 70s mm. in the School of Business yeah, who applied for a male scholarship. It actually was from a male fraternity. Okay. It had only ever gone to men, yeah. but it was to be given to the student with the highest GPA. And that year it was a woman. Oh, wonderful. I like that at all. I bet. That must have been a big change for them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but she hung in there. She got it. Yeah. She did a great job with the university. Very smart lady. Yeah. Little by little, people making their little inroads. Yeah. Some stories I said in the essay, you know, having to fill out a three-part form to even want to get a promotion and your boss would know you were looking. Yeah, you were pregnant and went to the interview in slacks. Ooh, that was awful. So tell me about, (laughs) yeah, so you had a pregnancy during, Mm -hmm. you had four pregnancies during your working life, it sounds like. And how was it to be pregnant at work throughout your different You didn't want to tell anyone because they would expect, especially in the 70s, that you would be leaving. Yeah. So when that older gentleman had been watching me and I didn't know he was observing me, standing on the chair <laughs> yeah and I'm putting some books up on a shelf and he starts saying oh no you're with child <laughs> oh my goodness like it was a disease or something really? <laughs> <laughs> now it's so different yeah. I told the boss because he wasn't very nice to me yeah he didn't like my religion he didn't like my ethnic background he didn't like that I was a union member he didn't like anything if my typing stopped he automatically came into the office to check up on me and to see why I wasn't typing or he'd pretend to go over the file cabinet and look for something which he didn't need. How did you um, deal with all of that? It was crummy. It was awful. I remember the state would give you either Christmas Eve or New Year's Eve off informal time, half day. Yeah. And one year I picked New Year's Eve to take my time. So I had to work Christmas Eve till five. And there had been a couple rapes in that building, actually, mm-hmm. in the late afternoon and evening. But on the 24th that year, 
I was the only person left in the building. Even my boss went home to get ready for a party. Yeah. So, but I knew, gosh, he checked up on everything. And sure enough, five minutes to five, he has to call. Yeah. It's going. Yeah. Everything's fine. Yeah. And he lived right up near the campus. So um, at about a minute to five, I happened to be staring out the window and there went his blue Mustang. Yeah. Down the curve. He had to check that the light was still on. Oh my goodness. And he waved. Oh my gosh. I stayed till five, the only one in the building. Everyone else's boss sent them home early. Yeah. But hey, Scrooge, do this. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that sounds horrible. Yeah. Now, how is the life you had then? There were there was nothing you could really do about it. Yeah. So you just had to deal with it and then push on, push forward, knowing that you were doing something, Thinking making inroads. Few, why am I still here? Well, yeah, because when I'm 60 or 70, I'll get a pension. <laughs> yeah. Knowing that you were looking towards your future and you were making things better for my family, your family. Care. Yeah. The future um, of women. <laughs> you probably didn't think about Maybe you didn't. That wasn't as much in the forefront, but you made things better yeah. for other women. By and when things weren't right, I spoke up. Yeah. There was another time uh, the dean was doing a reorganization of the entire business unit. And when he had moved all the people around, the department secretaries and clerical assistants, he came to me and he goes, I just don't have any room for you. So I was, I was a shop steward at the time. I go, oh, that's interesting. So I went to HR on Monday morning. I go, yeah. He has to make room for you. <laughs> You're yeah. What did HR do with these type of issues back then? Sometimes they did intervene and do the right thing. Okay. Um, but sometimes it felt like it was very tardy or it didn't feel like it happened. Yeah. It was one time, as soon as I returned to the office, the boss who did not treat me well, he always used to come in and sit on the other desk and then say bizarre things. Mm. Oh, I know you're Catholic. Tell me what the Catholic Church thinks about blah blah blah. Okay, so talking about things. Already, that, you're not right. <laughs> yeah, and nowadays you wouldn't be talking asking yeah. somebody about religious stuff, and that, or else he'd walk in and go, "If I ever find you working on any union business, you can bet I will see that you will be fired." Okay. Oh, All yeah. right. Now you're retired. It sounds like. Uh huh. And how is it, what was it like towards the end of your career there? It got, I was not in a very good department. It was not easy for me there. Why is it sometimes companies promote the people who have no experience at being yeah. a supervisor? Maybe they don't even have the education or the degrees. Yeah. Myself and two other people in my department had master's degrees, but our, um, director and assistant director did not the director didn't even have a bachelor's degree yeah so there's also a thing in the state that supervisors cannot make more than someone who has the higher degree and also oh interesting vice versa we will never make any more because they didn't have their degrees so we were stuck okay the three of us with master's degrees there has to be Hierarchy. System, a hierarchy. But yeah, and there was a lot of things you saw over time that weren't right. As much as you can, let me tell you, I was a shop steward for a reason. Did what I could. Yeah, you did what you could. And what you couldn't, you just kind of had to push on, push through. Mm-hmm. And when did you retire? Back at the end of 2012. I, there's a thing with the state. 
If you put down January 1st, 2013, you will not get the raise that following May in CalPERS. Okay. So you always retire like on December 30th. Okay. Can't be a holiday. Can't be the 31st. But there's little things they will tell you over time. Okay. Interesting career. And it sounds like a lot of struggles, but a lot of wins as well. A lot of wins. You know, toward the end, I did get the sense that I will be leaving here someday and it will be on my terms, not when they want to get rid of me. The more I can teach young people around here to continue the fight, to keep working to make things better for others and future employees. Yeah. The state, like many government entities, and I don't mean this in a mean way, it's just a reality. They balance their budgets on the backs of their employees. I went 22 years with no raises. Wow, that's a long time. I was blue penciled, meaning when they transferred me into that last department, in order to avoid a layoff, which I appreciated, my salary was too high for everyone else there. So I had to wait for all of them to catch up to me. And it took 22 years. Yeah. Wow. I did catch up. Oh my goodness. So now what can you tell other women, young women that are just getting into the career, their careers? Mm-hmm. What would you tell them? And what do you think there's, what do you think we still need to fight for? You probably know the atmosphere for younger people now much better than I would. It seems to me people are able to negotiate their salaries more these days in the private sector, especially if you have the education to back it up and you have the job experience. And I think that's what was different in my day. Women didn't go for promotions until they were like 200% more than ready. We always doubted ourselves. We just didn't do it till we were more than ready. I think today, women, when they feel they're ready, and if their resume shows the education, the background, and the experience, nothing should stop you for going in and asking for that raise or that promotion. I'm sure men do it, and women need to learn the right tactics to get in and do that for themselves. In government spheres, oftentimes, if you're rank and file, everything comes by rank and classification. You're not typically going to get ahead uh, singly or solely by someone doing something for you, unless they especially write nice things about you and you always just go on up the ranks. Yeah. But there are supervisory positions in government employment where people can get in a little easier. And women might be not thinking they can do that, but they should give it a crack. Yeah. They should try. Never give up. And when you're call- when you're qualified or more than qualified, get out there and try to do that. Because the more you can influence the bottom line for anyone, you'll make everyone's lives better. I supervised and ran the work study, federal work study program for many years, 22. Yeah. <laughs> and had many work study students over the 40 some odd years I was at Cal State. And the stories that these students on financial aid can tell you would blow your mind. Understanding where they're coming from, and my story is nothing compared to what their families are dealing with. And being able to help others, showing them the ropes. I would try to have all the patience in the world to bring these students along if I employed them. Yeah. It was just something I felt was something I needed to do for those behind me. I'm still in contact with some, 
to this day. It was really nice (laughs) to watch them get married and have lives and they're very successful. Wonderful. Now, what are you doing now to pay it forward? Are you still involved in, in these type of issues? Yes. I always felt over the years, living where I live now, I wanted to give back by being an elected trustee on a college board. I started in a community college and that's where I wanted to stay. And that's what I've been doing since 2010. I was elected to the Ohlone Community College Board in 2010, re-elected in 2014 and 2018. And I see a lot there. So I've come full circle, being a parent of four college students who started there, went on to CSUs, other universities. My children are lucky enough to have most of them bachelor's degrees, credentials, and our master's degree. So that which I could not have yeah. <laughs> I was a teenager is something. My family's been in this country 100 years. I'm the second generation born here, the first generation to go on to higher education. But I know I won't be the last. You've been listening to Catalyst for Change, and my name is Jessica Huckabay, your host. Join us next week for another story of resiliency. And please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. And feel free to leave me a comment or email me at catalystforchange20 at gmail.com. Or on Facebook, we have a page at Catalyst for Change Resiliency. 